they're playing in 2022. You cannot have two teams who are in a lame duck situation playing in another conference when their heart, mind, soul is in the other conference. Not only that, but think about those conference meetings twice a year, what those things would be like with Texas and Oklahoma officials there and everybody else knowing that, you know, they just torpedoed the conference. So, yeah, there's there's zero chance they don't play in the SEC in 2022. That will happen one way or the other. Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, a ton of realignment talk today with Matt Hayes. Also got an interview with former Ole Miss star and New Orleans Saints star, Deuce McAllister. Yes, sir. I decided to, yeah, I know you're a big Deuce guy um, as, a, as a big Saints fan. I decided to push my all-ICC discussion to next week. Really want to be able to get into that. It's kind of going to set up the preview for the start of camp as well. I want to get into that when we're not swimming in Texas and Oklahoma talk, realignment, all these different things. But I wanted to start with this far less significant news in the sports world. I am back on Twitter. Yes, sir. And you, you, my friend, are the reason why I finally made a breakthrough. So the context. The context for those who maybe didn't see the video that I posted on Twitter, um, not quite. And <laughs> you I'm had like a little decision video. thing going on. I was like, "Hey, Connor's out here talking. He's firing off these takes." So you guys, Twitter back, <laughs> ready to go, man. When you got three months, when you're shut down, you've uh, you've probably thought about what you're gonna say. Although I was winging it for most of that video. Man said, "Let me tell um, you something about so, English muffin." <laughs> he was ready to go. Big. I'm a big English muffin guy. I've been holding off all my English muffin takes. Haven't really been able to get out there. Big Thomas, Thomas English muffin fan. <laughs> anyway, you told me when I was at Media Days that I should reach out to J-Boy, host of the J-Boy show. A lot of people know him on social media. Jake Crane is his real name. J-Boy is a much better thing to go by. Super cool dude that I got to know a bit in Hoover. Does a really good rendition of Creed as well. Um, you know that's right up my alley. Big, big Creed fan over here. <laughs> anyway, J-Boy went through the exact same thing that I did. Got hacked from someone looking for a verified account with one-factor authentication. He was locked out for three days. He got in touch with someone at Twitter who escalated his issue. So, Will, you saw this. You're like, hey, you should reach out to him. Like, go, go introduce yourself and... Maybe he'll be able to point you in the right direction. I was kind of like, ah, you know, what's he really going to be able to do? I've just been so kind of down and out about this whole thing that I've, I had pretty much given up all hope that anything was going to actually happen. So you pushed me to, to make that, that first step. And I was getting coffee on Wednesday morning last week before the start of just a wild day uh, at SEC Media Days with the Oklahoma and Texas News. But J-Boy's getting coffee at the same time. I'm like, oh, hey. So basically told my whole thing ran down like everything that I went through and it was very similar to his situation and he put me in touch with the right person took a few days but we made it happen I'm still working on getting the blue check mark back but you know after three months I'm just glad to be back don't really care about that as much I said in my video announcing my my Twitter return that I felt like that episode of The Office where Jim gets jinxed by Pam and he can't say anything when he sees Dwight fake a drug test for Michael who accidentally got high at an Alicia Keys concert. By the way, we're doing concerts today and figuring it out. Nice little segue there. But I felt like I didn't have a voice in these key moments when there's been so much change and, and so many things to react to in the college football world. But Will, 
you are the master of the 335 defense, and you are the master <laughs> of getting me back on Twitter. So thanks, man. Listen, if that's my brand, you know, it's social media and uh, just, you know, college football. So love to see it. We've seen lots of uh, coming together in the SEC with the Texas Know You thing. Glad to see that you and J-Boy can form a little alliance against Twitter because they're the real enemies here. Exactly. He's my guy. Really, really good dude. Um, fun to be able to get to know him and respect the hustle of what he's been doing for the last year. Speaking of the 335, which was a Charlie Strong staple back in the day, before we get to Matt Hayes and Deuce McAllister, I had a few Texas-Oklahoma thoughts now that we've had a week to process this whole thing. Because I think last week when we came on air and we're talking about this, this still felt so new and so fresh and, and so many things that were still sort of, um, I don't want to say unreported, but we just didn't really know the direction that it was heading. And I don't know if we really know the direction that all this is heading right now, but we at least have a better picture of this, having seen the way that some of these things have played out. So the first thing, the fact that the SEC has everyone on board with this shows true conference strength. And I know that, that that's not the biggest takeaway that some have had from this, but the financial benefits of that are massive. If we're talking about an extra $20 million for each team, what a win that is for even the Kentuckys, Mississippi States, Missouris of the world. And last week at the time, I said, well, I feel bad for AM and I pictured what this was like from their perspective because at the time we're thinking that AM got blindsided by this and all of a sudden Texas is going to join the conference but then as you'll hear with Matt Hayes um, we found out pretty soon after last Wednesday that the Aggies were well aware of this and that everyone in the SEC knew that this was about to go down maybe not come out during media days the way that it did but eventually this was going to go down i'm amazed that it almost got to the date that texas and oklahoma were going to officially tell the big 12 that they wanted out it almost got there despite the fact that this has been in the works for months that doesn't typically happen in this day and age and the ability to have that not leak out shows how unified the sec is because if that leaks out too early who then gets involved the Big Ten. Mm -hmm. Why is that significant, you might ask? Because as of right now, the Big Ten schools are making more money than the SEC, but that's before we're gonna get to the negotiation tables and we're gonna have these new TV rights deals kick in and all those different things. But at the same time, knowing how nearsighted Kevin Warren has been about this, about COVID, maybe that wouldn't have even made a difference if the Big Ten knew about this two months ago. After all, the whole like, Thing about the Big Ten seeking the schools that have AAU accreditation is something that apparently the conference is still holding on to, even though Nebraska lost its accreditation the second it joined the Big Ten. Didn't really care about that. Actually read something about how that didn't matter as much, and people like to make a big deal out of that. It's basically bragging about being a fine academic institution and that you've done a lot to advance in your specific fields, wherever you pride yourself on, whatever. The Big Ten still cares about that. The SEC, eh, not really. That's the thing about Texas the Big Ten, has, man. Things like that that you would just swear don't matter actually do. And like you see the tweet and you're like, you know, like you feel like this sounds like BS. And you're like, oh no, they actually believe that. Like, okay, man. Like, And there's... And there's some things with the financial benefits of that that come with that that people are saying, oh, you know, this brings in hundreds of millions of dollars. I don't really see that financial benefit of it in the same sort of way because if you read some of the stuff about the schools who lose their accreditation, it's not like all of a sudden they've lost $100 million. 
That's just not the way that it works. So Texas has that accreditation, Oklahoma doesn't. So if that was somehow a hold up with the Big Ten, what a what a weird thing to, to what a weird hill to die on. The SEC only has three schools with an AU accreditation. Will, can you name them? <laughs> Vandy. Duh. <laughs> uh, Florida. You're cheating right now. You're totally cheating. Uh, Georgia? Not a bad guess. Okay, maybe you're not cheating. Not a bad guess. You got two out of three. A&M was the last school oh, okay. that we were looking for there. Yeah. Good for A&M. Well, listen, they could jump to the, the Big other Ten team. now, so... They could. I, I don't think they're going to want to, but theoretically they could. Maybe Kevin Warren will give them a call in like five years. I don't know. The other, One of the other takeaways. How awful for the Big Ten that there were more rumors about Michigan and Ohio State leaving the Big Ten than there were rumors about Texas and Oklahoma joining the Big Ten. We didn't even get the slightest rumor that the Big Ten was trying to swoop in at the 11th hour. How do you not even let that leak, even if there's no truth to that whatsoever, of the Big Ten is making a last-minute pitch to try and get Texas and Oklahoma now that they know that they're available? This situation that the SEC pulled off is essentially like the fumble ruski. And it was like the Big Ten and these other Power Five conferences, they didn't even see that the 300-pound center was about to waltz in for a touchdown until like he was at the five-yard line. And instead of trying to race him down and maybe make a play on the ball, they were just like, meh, we'll get him next time. The SEC just made a move that's going to separate it from the only other conference that really stood to compete with it from a revenue-generating standpoint. And I'm not saying that the Big Ten has competed with the SEC in terms of national championships, all those different things. But the Big Ten has been comfortable with its model of bragging about athletics, bragging about academics, and making a lot of money while doing it. This day and age, I don't know how much that's going to matter in the 2020s in the same sort of way. By the way, I don't think the SEC expands beyond 16 at least not yet. So those reports about Michigan and Ohio State, yeah, who knows at this point? I don't know. When the SEC expanded last time, though, it's worth remembering that it was a couple years ahead of the move to the 14 playoff. If the SEC expands again, I would think it would only be with even more expansion on the way. So maybe not going to Mike Leach's 64 team playoff, but finding somewhere between that 12 and 64 mark. I don't know how many it's going to be, if it's going to be 16 teams whatever the case, but that's when I think you would potentially see the SEC look at that as an option because this is all about money, the playoff, and being the force in college sports, which the SEC is, and there's really no debate about that. Let me ask you a question Will, real go quick. Ahead. This is definitely off schedule. Um, so this is, you know, we as college football fans view this as a college football thing. Do you think the other sports weigh in? You know, let's take, for example, Kansas. Obviously, they have this powerhouse basketball team, not a great football team, as we know. You know, does that give them any leverage? Or in this conference realignment thing, is it really just football is the number one revenue generator? That's what we care about. Are these, are these universities looking out for their other sports as well? Or is it just the cash cow? Everything that we've seen from conference realignment in the 21st century suggests it's football or bust. Mm-hmm. Even look at the, the days of the, the old Big East in college basketball. Football killed the Big East. Yep. There's no doubt about it. You can go back, you can watch the 30 for 30 on that. Every decision that is made from major college athletics is meant with football in mind. And if it's not, you're probably wondering why it wasn't made with football in mind. Because when you see the breakdown of the tens of millions of dollars that football generates 
and the profits that it can generate compared to some of these other schools. And that's not for everyone because there are a group of five programs who are losing money playing football. And there are going to be serious long-term discussions as we get into the NIL era when that talent gap gets separated potentially even more about whether or not these programs can sustain themselves. But if you're talking about a program like Kansas, for example, what value is Kansas bringing to the Big Ten right now if that's what it, what it wanted to do other than the specific basketball element, right? Other than saying we have competed for national championships and we have a program that has such a high floor and you're a conference that hasn't won a basketball national championship in two decades. If that's your pitch and you're Kansas, cool, but then you still look at the massive loss that is football. And by the way, Kansas is going to be facing, I would imagine, some sort of NCAA sanctions because when you play, when you pay somebody $50,000 to shut up and go away after they've been, um, after they've been harassed, assaulted by their own teammates, yeah, probably not the best look when that comes out. So I don't necessarily know that Kansas has any leverage at all. And Kansas <laughs> might be one of those desperate programs and could be could offer less than even an Iowa State. So is that, does that kind of answer that question? I know that was kind of a long-winded way of doing it. No, that, that's exactly it. No, that's, that's, that's wild. I appreciate that. Last thing here, little fun fact. Texas has not had an offensive player drafted in the first round since Vince Young in 2006. Will, that's 15 years. Let me repeat that because <laughs> Hold on. What? based on the look, yes, Based on the look that you're giving me right now, I imagine many people heard that and thought, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's, let's back up. I need to repeat this. Texas has not had an offensive player drafted in the first round in 15 years. I don't know how that's possible. I really don't. Texas hasn't had a first round draft pick on either side of the ball since Malcolm Brown in 2015, and he was the last pick of the first round. This is remarkable for the talent-rich state of Texas. Look it up. Go ahead. It's all in there. I know. I had people, I tweeted it out last night, and I had people that were like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. And then they looked it up for themselves, and they're like, yep, that is reality. Mind-blowing. Even Vandy has had a first-round pick since then on the offensive side of the ball. Another thing about Texas. Since the Longhorn Network began a decade ago, Texas had one top-10 season Zero trips to the Sweet 16. That is Mizzou-level success. And Mizzou fans, I love you, and I'm buying all the Eli Drinkwitz stock. Trust me when I say that. But even you would admit that your last decade of big revenue college sports wasn't exactly worthy of having its own network worth tens of millions of dollars every year. You can admit that, Mizzou fans. Listen, Mizzou has two division titles that I can remember. They do. They (laughs) absolutely do. And I want to get to that, that part of this in a minute here for all the people that think that Texas and Oklahoma are just doomed to fail from, from the start in the SEC, and there's a little bit more to it. Texas and Oklahoma, though, they want a new ceiling. They saw their ceiling limited in the last decade, was probably at least some of that, the most of that, their own fault with the way that they bullied the, the Big 12 with those negotiations when they threatened to leave. Yeah, probably, but this isn't a four-year sample size. It's not just the product of one head coach. I mean. Think about this. Texas's best season of the last decade included four losses. And then Sam Ellinger declared that Texas was back. 
Oklahoma has been a tier two program really throughout the 21st century, and it wants to be tier one. That's what this comes down to. Does more money elevate their recruiting classes even more to take that next step to be like, hey, we're top two, top three? Does it give them a chance to fight for that number one spot when Nick Saban eventually stops coaching whenever that is? I don't know. It's still too early to be able to say that, but that's their goal. That's what they're thinking about. As much as Texas is this in-state recruiting hotbed, it's a national game. And if you're in those places and if you're getting into Florida all of a sudden and you're getting into that Georgia talent pool and you're an SEC program all of a sudden, maybe it takes your program to a different level. A&M joined the SEC and I would argue A&M got to a different level. We make this out to be like, hey, you're going to join a new conference. You're going to get murdered immediately. But A&M joined the SEC and had a top five finish with a Heisman winner and Johnny Manziel in year one. Mizzou joined the SEC, went to Atlanta, as you said, year two, year three. Nebraska even, and I know it hasn't worked out in the Big Ten, it absolutely has not, but they joined the Big Ten and then in year two, they got to a Big Ten championship. All of those programs went through a bit of an identity crisis. Texas and Oklahoma, are, are they gonna go through an identity crisis? I don't know, but my guess is that brands like that have a better chance of surviving, especially as we enter the NIL era. And that's gonna change the way that they're able to market and the way that they're able to sell their specific athletes of being more of a national brand as opposed to a regional one, which I would argue that they kind of are right now. One last, last thing, and then Will, I wanna get your, your takeaways on, on this. This situation reminds me of working your way through the airport security line. 10 years ago, you've got A&M, Oklahoma, Texas. Maybe they're all going on a buddy trip together. At least they think they are. They choose their specific lane going through security. You know, the, the lines that they have at like the Orlando airport where you can pick like one of six. I think Atlanta is a pretty similar breakdown where you're like, all right, am I gonna pick the one that's closest and it looks like it's got kind of a longer line? Am I gonna walk a little bit? You've all done that dilemma in your head before. I'm picturing though the Orlando airport, which was built pre 9-11 and it shows because everyone just funnels into the same spot. It's the absolute worst, especially when you run into a family with a bunch of kids who are crying because they're leaving Disney. That happens every single time we go there. You know that. Anybody who's ever been through the Orlando airport, you know this truth. Sorry for any of you who have had to experience that. Y'all are the real MVPs for taking that experience on. Again, more power to you if you can do that. Anyways, A&M sees that crying family. And they've got souvenirs. The kids won't take their shoes off. Their mom is asking a million questions to the TSA person. They've got drinks that they don't want to throw away. They've got some of these crazy straws. They're, they're just the, the worst people to be stuck behind when it comes to the airport security line. A&M sees clear, which if you don't know what clear is, from what I can gather, it's how rich people squeeze through the security line and they don't wait on stuff like that because life is too short and they have money. So A&M sees the, the clear people, they're wearing the gingham shirts, they got the black ties, and they're like, hey, I'm bouncing. I'm signing up for this clear, I don't care what it costs me, if it means getting kicked in the teeth by Alabama for the next few years, it's worth it. I can stay here and be a part of the, the Big 12, or rather this airport security line. Texas and Oklahoma are like, wow, really? Fine, AM, go way to overreact, do what you're gonna do. We're gonna be fine in this line, everything's gonna get figured out. Meanwhile, A&M is at the airport bar five minutes later with a cold beer and a steak on the way. And Texas and Oklahoma are just stuck in this crap line. They wait and they wait and they wait. And finally, they're like, wow, there is no other option. We have to sign up for clear. We probably should have listened to A&M. The SEC is where it's at. So they finally bite the bullet. They get to the airport bar. A&M sitting there, stuffed, 
two beers deep, polished off the porterhouse, did the fully loaded baked potato, left a couple pieces of broccoli on the plate, didn't want to look like a total pig. Better late than never for Oklahoma and Texas. They finally got to the airport bar. They're able to sit down and enjoy this new experience of clear, which they now have. I'm going to pitch that to my guy, Josh Sneed, at ICC Shorts, see if we can get a, a working script in place. Not a lot of confidence about that, but we'll see. You never know. Will, <laughs> any big takeaways to add from that? That's such an incredible metaphor. Yeah, that, that Orlando airport with the kids. You're right. It's like every time I've been running late in that airport, I end up behind that family. I would argue, however, that Texas is the crying family and Oklahoma is the cool oh. guy stuck behind them. And the, and the crying okay. family is still like, we got to get out of this line. It's like, buddy, you are the line. Like, you're, yep. the, you're the reason why this line is taking so long. You got to look at yourself in the mirror. But anyway, so yeah, um, no, I mean, I, I think, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head. That That's the thing for me, you know, as a lifelong SEC fan, we don't really count how lucky we are. We don't really count, okay, boom, we're in a conference that, you know, baseball is elite, football is elite, basketball is elite, you know, and, and we have all these, like, tent poles that we don't have to have an identity crisis. I know, you know, I was talking to my buddy, at, um, there's a UCF fan talking about playing on Thursday. It's like, I'm never going to watch LSU play on, th- on a Thursday. I'm just not. It's what we've done our whole life. You know, never say never. That's, that's a dumb thing to say. That might happen. But in terms of, you know, what we... What we grew up watching, you know, so much of the world has changed and, and a lot of the core SEC fan bases have been able to, you know, keep what they love. And that, that's really, we're, we're lucky. And, and, you know, as much as it, it's hard to say that, sometimes you get to look in other people's shoes and say, well, you know, imagine if you were a Texas fan. As much as this is, you know, kind of their own doing, imagine if you're an OU fan who, OU has done everything right, man. You know, we talked about places like Nebraska that might never get back to the way that they were. OU is, you know, in the middle of Oklahoma, and they've been able to pull in recruits. They've been able to win Heisman. They've been able to make the postseason. They've been able to go as far as this conference will let them. So I think at the end of the day, you know, it's it's obviously above our heads. You know, um, we can't go, you know, Tennessee fans on the rock and, and drive them out of town. So, you know, we right. got we, we to open the doors and say, you know, imagine if this was your team. Imagine if, you know, for me, if LSU got spontaneously kicked out of the SEC, I'm going to be the biggest Big Ten fan. I can because that's what my team needs. So I think all all of everyone's opinion is what works for them. You know what I'm saying? As SEC fans, we say you know we never have this. Um, but if you're you know if the shoe was on the other foot, perhaps it would be different. Is all I'm gonna say. You say that you'll never watch LSU on a Thursday. BYU fans are sitting here thinking I'm never gonna watch BYU on a Sunday because our university will not allow that. <laughs> they will. That's a hard pass rule if I've ever heard one. <laughs> They will not do it. And that's that's the point that I, I bring up whenever somebody says, BYU should join the Big 12. That's like a real thing that's being discussed is whether or not they would be able to put aside some of their their morals to, to join a power conference and if that opportunity is going to be seen there. Who knows what's going to happen with the Big 12? Who knows if they're going to absorb some AAC teams? Who knows if they're going to just fizzle out and everybody's going to be left to pick up the carcass, if they're going to merge? Whatever's going to happen. So many things that have just remained a mystery throughout this entire process about the future of college football. Very tough to predict, but we're going to get some more clarity on that in a bit from Matt Hayes. Today's podcast is brought to you by College Football Uncensored. If you're just starting to subscribe to all of your college football podcasts, now is the perfect time to subscribe to Saturday Down South's newest podcast, College Football Uncensored. It's Marler, it's Tyler Huck, it's college football, it's commentary, it's guys who love the game and they love chopping it up in their own unique way. There's no bleep button. 
They've got drunk college football history. They've got all the rankings you know and love, especially this time of year. It gets lost in the shuffle. It's supposed to be ranking season. It's supposed to be watch list season. No, we, we're still gonna we're still gonna be talking about all of those things, but you know, a couple of things have come to the forefront since then, but they're gonna have you covered on everything college football. So go to wherever you get your podcast, type in college football uncensored and get back into mid-season form. Go do that right now. Let's go to our interviews. First, Matt Hayes is gonna break down everything you need to know about realignment, a lot to dissect. He's always got, and I say this whenever Hayes comes on, he's always got such a unique perspective on, on all of this and he knows people and is more connected than I am. I'm, I'm, I'm humble enough to be able to admit that. So I, I do take what Hayes has to say very, very seriously and he's more times than not, he is right on the money with this stuff. And then on the back end, I caught up with Deuce McAllister at SEC Media Days. So yes, you're gonna hear a lot of background noise, so just bear with us for that. But it was great to be able to talk to him about little Ole Miss stuff, little Lane Kiffin, talk some modern offenses, and a little tailgating, little tailgating 101 with Deuce. So here is Matt Hayes, then Deuce. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Matt Hayes. Matt, I'm not just saying this because you're on, but I tell everyone this. First and 10 is a must read whenever it drops on a Monday morning. You do such a great job with it. For those who have not read this week's First and 10 just yet, it is on SaturdayDownSouth.com right now. You should go do that. Spoiler alert, a little bit about uh, realignment, just a, a little, you know, a couple details in there. You have been all over this. The biggest thing that everyone keeps asking now that we're a week removed from this bombshell being dropped is what's next? What's next? You were told by an SEC athletic director that the expectation is Oklahoma and Texas are joining the SEC in 2022. What would it take for that to happen? Excuse me. Well, first, thank you, Connor, for your kind words. Um, checks in the mail. Um, what would it take? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it takes anything. I, they're they're playing in 2022. You cannot have two teams who are in a lame duck situation playing in another conference when their heart, mind, soul is in the other conference. Not only that, but think about those conference meetings twice a year, what those teams would be like with Texas and Oklahoma officials there. And everybody else knowing that you know they just torpedoed the conference. So yeah, there's there's zero chance they don't play in the SEC in 2022. That will happen one way or the other. Whether it's the Big Ten taking Kansas and Iowa State, further damaging the Big 12, and then the Pac-12 taking four of the five or all the five remaining, and West Virginia going to the ACC. That's the that's the most likely scenario, I guess, is if everybody starts to add and get to 16. The most likely is West Virginia goes to the ACC. The Big Ten takes uh, Kansas and Iowa State because they're AAU schools. They fit they fit the academic profile of the Big Ten. And then yep. the Pac-12 rounds up to 16 with the other ones. Then Texas and Oklahoma don't are dying because there's no longer a conference. And actually, I honestly think that if, if even one of those steps have, happens, if, if the Big Ten takes Kansas and Iowa State, then I, I think Texas and Oklahoma can, add, can get out of it without paying a dime. But even if nothing happens, and the SEC is the only team to expand, which is not going to happen. But even if let's just say that happens, um, they, they will mitigate that expense. It, it happens all the time. You, you, when you leave a conference, you can't. You, you can't. See, the, the whole thing is the presidents of the other conference you're leaving, they don't want you. They don't want you in the conference either. They just want what's, what's due to them money-wise. So believe me, the Big 12 does not want Texas and Oklahoma playing in their conference in 2022 if there's going to be a Big 12. They just don't. 
So they, they, you have to figure out a way to, to figure out to mitigate the, the, the final number. Missouri and, and Texas A&M, Texas A&M was officially added to the SEC in September of 2011. Missouri was added in November of 2011. They both played in the SEC in 2012. So it will happen. Um, it's just a matter of how you mitigate. Um, the last time this happened, I believe that Texas A&M, my, my memory serves me right, what I just wrote, which is pretty crazy. I can't remember. I think it's like 55% what they paid. So 55% of the $31.4 million that they owed initially, and then ended up being like, you know, what's 55% of that? I, I don't know. Or 45% I think it was actually. I think it was less than that. Like, they ended up paying like 12 or $13 million. So you can get out. You will get out. And the idea that they're going to play four lame duck seasons or even one lame duck season, this is their lame duck season right here. So all of these games in the Big 12 is going to be their last games in the Big 12, and, and the road games will be very interesting for these two schools. Not, not to say it's going to be in, impactful of Oklahoma, who, who has one of the best four or five teams in the country, um, but Texas on the road, it'll be interesting for them because, you know, they're not liked in that conference anyway. So those, those four road games will be – or five, four road games and then the other one in the Cotton Bowl. But will be interesting, no doubt about it. The Longhorn Network is the other piece of the how could they get out of this sort of mess that they're in with the media rights deal that's supposed to, to, supposed to go until 2025. And as much as I would love to live in this world in which you would see Bob Bowlesby hand Oklahoma a Big 12 championship trophy year after year after year and just have to just sit there and it's like the Goodell thing with the Patriots or Goodell with Brady like we would have that dynamic that everybody would love you're right it's not going to happen the imagine irony the, imagine would be the, the memes on social media the memes on the social media where, where <laughs> OU is holding up the big 12 tro- trophy and that somebody would put like an SEC logo over it you, you can't do that it's not going to happen it's just not going to happen uh, the Longhorn Network if that ends up being the bailout money, that's what I didn't really process last week when we're trying to figure out all these pieces. And you're right that if if the Big 12 folds, then maybe none of this matters and you don't have to necessarily worry about that buyout money. But the Longhorn Network is still set to pay Texas from ESPN $160 million for another 10 years that it's under that contract. But now if that ends up being the buyout money, and that, that's what takes care of it in terms of paying off the Big 12. And they, they, for some reason, cover Oklahoma too, which that's a weird scenario to think about as well. I would assume that that means the end of the Longhorn Network upon the arrival in the SEC. The Longhorn Network, it's it's got what? Maybe a year left, right? I, I don't know what it is. Honestly, Connor, okay, well, let's look at this from an organic, an organic, organic point of view, okay? I can tell you this. There's no way that Greg Sankey, I know Greg Sankey well. He is a guy who does not deal in hypotheticals, okay? He absolutely refuses to do it. And he learned that from Mike Slide. So he's not dealing in what ifs or how this. And his idea is, look, this is what happens. Here's our plan. This is what we do. So the, uh, don't ever think for a second that he and the SEC president and the presidents of Texas and Oklahoma haven't literally covered every single scenario and what this, what this move will mean. So with that as the foundation, okay, for anyone to think that ESPN is not part of this move literally just has your head in the sand because you, you, you can't see what's going on here. ESPN takes over the SEC, complete SEC football uh, uh, programming in 2024, all right? CBS no longer has it. So, so then your point is, okay, 
if you're going to make this move, and you know the Longhorn Network has been an abject failure for them, and it absolutely has, and you're paying money, you're literally throwing money down the drain with the Longhorn Network. The idea is, okay, either either can they get out of that for free, and then we just fold the Longhorn Network into the SEC and you pay the SEC Network that, which is which would be the best scenario for the SEC because then everybody gets part of that money. And if that's yeah. not the case, and they can't get out of it for free, then ESPN uses that money, they get it, they send it to Texas. Texas pays off the, the entry fees. And, and believe me, you say, would Texas pay for Oklahoma? It, it, I, I can guarantee you, if that's one of the things that's going on, and I'm not saying it is one of the things that's going on, but if it is, and that came to a, an, a situation where that's a point, the SEC president, and thank you, said, told Texas and Oklahoma, you're paying for Oklahoma. That's it. If you want in, you're paying for Oklahoma. So, and that, that's, I mean, that's, look, you know, we laugh about it. We laugh about the SEC, you know, the big bad SEC and how they're, they're the baddest, you know, greatest baddest, baddest conference in college football. They are. They are. So it's not like they're turning – I mean, people are running away from them. People are trying to get into the conference. So, look, if you want in, these are the parameters. And I can guarantee you Texas said, okay. Because that's – at the end of the day, in 10 years, the potential of what Texas is going to make with the SEC, I mean – it's, I've, you know, look, people are talking about $60 million. It could be as much as $70 million a year for the SEC schools. So it's in ESPN's best interest to make that happen. And then what ESPN does is they buy out the final two years of the CBS deal. So then they start televising the SEC completely, 100%, no one else, in 2022. So then you say, how do you buy out the, the, the CBS deal? Well, it's a combination of money and it's a combination of, of, of content. you got to give them games so you can give them AAC games, you can give them, you know, uh, you know, Mountain West games or whatever games you've got, you can give to them. Pac-12 games, you know, you give it, you 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 give it to them and say, okay, you can you can you know you can televise these games and we'll give you this money. Some kind of combination that will get them the rights to the SEC uh, beginning next year. And, and I know this is a lot to everyone for everyone to digest, but believe me, there is a plan behind this. This is not as one SEC. Uh, athletic director told me last weekend, trust me, we're not winging it. So they know what they're doing right now, okay? One of the things that your piece highlighted was just how aware SEC presidents were about all of this, including A&M. Again, we're not winging this. You and your guy, Brett McMurphy, you have been on it from the jump that A&M very much knew about all of this and the faux surprise, reaction, whatever at SEC Media Days was all just part of this plan. And I, it, it looked like it got fan support as well. And then it turns into we'll play anybody anywhere. I don't know about you, Matt, but I, 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 I come away from this thinking if that is indeed the case, I actually respect A&M even more after hearing that. Yeah, well, first off, it's, it's, it's 100% the case. They knew about right. it all along, okay? That's first off. N- number two, my guess is, look, I don't know this, but th- I'm, I'm, I'm throwing out this scenario of probably what happened. The Houston Chronicle, Brett Weinerman, who, met, who uh, broke the story, originally called Ross Bjork and said, look, this is what I'm working on. This is what I've got. And he probably called him that morning or, 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 or that was Wednesday morning, I believe, or Tuesday night. Um, and then Ross knew, okay, it's coming down, man. He got on a plane with Jimbo to go to the SEC media days because he knew it was coming down. Um, because ADs never, and I'm going to stress this right now, never go to SEC media days. Never. It's not even their deal. It's nothing. Nothing about that means they have to go there. They're not. They're not obliged to go there. They're not told to go there. 
They don't want to go there. It's, it's, a, it's a nut house. It's a carnival. They don't want to be there. And Ross just decides what he said initially when we saw him Wednesday. I just thought I'd come here. You know, I haven't been here. And so you check it out. So he was like, come on. Look, I understand what Ross had to do. Look, at the end of the day, he's in a tough spot because his fan base, they were just elated that they got away from Texas when they did in 2012. It was all about Texas's iron fist in the Big 12. And, and I mean, honestly, it's what it is in the Big 12 and still is to this day. So they were elated that they got away from that. Now you're going to tell me that the SEC, the conference that saved them, is now going to say, okay, we're going to add Texas? I mean, imagine if you're a fan of Texas A&M, what, what the thought of that is. So Ross had to go there. He had to say we were surprised by this. He had to say, you know, our, you know, our understanding was we were going to be the only standalone university in the state of Texas. We're not happy with this or, what, you know, whatever the, whatever the quote was, which was basically we're not happy with this. You know, we have to talk about this. You know, and then it was this, apparently a Board of Regents meeting was going to come and they were going to talk about this move. And believe me, they did that to appease their fans, to let it simmer for a couple of days, uh, to let their fans feel like the university was they were not happy with it and they were with the fans all along and this can't happen. And then all of a sudden the president comes out on you know, Saturday and says, eh, we're good with it. We're good with it. We're all right. We love the SEC. It's brilliant. Because it's at so the end smart. of the day, it, it, it's very smart what they did. It's very, very smart. And, and it's a great PR move. And whoever the, whoever the PR person was that decided to do that, genius. Genius. Yep. Again, and, and my guess also is, and, and again, nothing is in a vacuum here, okay? My guess also is, they called Sankey and said, hey, we're going to do this. Is that all right? I don't want to get you upset. And then Sankey said, yeah, fine. Don't worry about it. And then they did it, which is why the only thing Sankey said the entire time, Wednesday and Thursday, was I want to focus on the 2021 season. I'm not responding to unnamed, unnamed stories, unnamed source stories. So he, they all knew what was going on, okay? And it's not, it's not really deceiving. It's kind of putting yourself in the best light. Um, you could say it was deceiving, but the, at the end of the day, what Texas a was doing was trying to protect, protect their fans, protect the move, and they realized, look, they're in the SEC now. This is not the Big 12, all right? Texas is no better than Mississippi State. Florida's no better than Vanderbilt. Alabama's no better um, than Ole Miss. They're all the same. Everybody gets the same money. Everybody's held the same way. And I hear this idea about people saying, oh, the SEC thinks that everybody's equal. Wait till Texas gets in there. It will not happen. There's no way. Because you have strong leadership at the presidential level, strong leadership at the, at the commissioner level. Texas will fall in line just like the other 15 universities. I want to go back to the, or- the origins of this for a second. We're sitting here, again, a week removed from after this breaks. And we, everybody knows the why at, at this point. It's money. It's pretty clear. All parties have indicated that it was Texas and Oklahoma who reached out to the SEC and not the other way around, which is an important thing to remember. But how does an idea like that ever see the light of day? We've heard that this had been developing for months and months. Like, are Texas and Oklahoma's presidents sitting around a table and looking at each other going, you know what? Maybe it'd be cool if we just went to the SEC. Let's do that. Let's ditch the the Big 12, the league that we saved a decade ago. How do those conversations even start? Well, let's start with a decade ago. Texas didn't save the Big 12. ESPN and Fox saved the Big 12. ESPN and Fox gave Texas and Oklahoma enough money where they didn't feel like they had to leave. Um, So so they saved them. They saved the Big 12. And that's not happening this time. So I I, I think 
what you start with now is, you know, six months ago, or more than six months ago, let's go, you know, eight, nine months ago, when we're in the middle of COVID, you're thinking, oh, my God, Texas was getting was getting rid of people in their own athletic department. They were laying off people. Texas. Texas with the biggest budget, Texas with the most money of anyone in college sports was laying off people in their athletic department. So when it gets that bad, when they have to lay off people in their athletic department to protect sports, there's an issue. you got a problem. So you need money. You need reserves. And I think Texas and Oklahoma saw that the SEC, oh, by the way, eh, we're just going to give everybody an extra $25 million because we got it and because, you know, everybody was hit hard. You don't see that anywhere else, man. You just don't. So I think it was the COVID that scared the hell out of people and as much, too, Con, and I think this is, isn't getting nearly enough, nearly enough play, is it was the NIL. They couldn't figure out the NIL. They had now been almost a year into the idea of the NIL. NIL's coming. What are you going to do? And they had no idea what they were going to do. Still don't know what they're going to do. It's still wild, wild west right now. They still have no idea what they're going to do. They basically just open the doors. You can do whatever you want. So that's number one. And part of that equation was they were working on the playoff at that point, too, because the playoff had become a more important factor because of COVID. They needed money. And somewhere along the line, someone among that playoff group, among the athletic directors, I don't know who brought it up. Um, my guess would be it was Sankey because my guess would have been you know, six, seven years ago would be my slide. But somebody stood up and said, hey, uh, by the way, if we go to 12, we're going to be making like $1.2 a year, and the players are going to want to get paid. And that's where we're headed. So we better figure this thing out. And so I think it's COVID. I think it's NIL. And I think it's the, the, the looming biggest story of all that's still yet to drop, Connor. It's bigger than the playoff. It's bigger than Texas, Oklahoma to the SEC. It's players getting straight pay for play. Um, that's going to be the big thing. And then how do you afford that? So I think Texas and Oklahoma saw all of that. And believe me, I'm not saying getting paid like $200,000 a year. I'm saying the 5000 a semester stipends go from 5000 a semester to 15000 a semester. So where you're literally giving, giving guys a, a, a legitimate stipend or $20,000 a semester. If you're making $1.2 billion, which, which one industry source, source told me it could be, $1.2 billion a year on that playoff, I mean, it's – Believe me, you, you. There's no way you can tell players we're not paying you. The NIL doesn't cover it; it just doesn't. Um, so I think all of that's part of it, you know. And and, and I, I think when you look at this thing again, when you look at it from way up top, thirty thousand feet, not ground zero, where you're not seeing anything, you see all these pieces start to fit together now. And you wonder, you know, everyone is why would they do it? Well, this is why they would do it because they need the money. Everybody's going to need the money to pay players. That's the end game right now. So for anyone to say that it, no one else is expanding and that's not how it's going, they're crazy. They're going to expand. Everybody's going to 16. All right? And here's something else, too. The playoffs, not going to stay at 12. The playoffs are going to expand, too. And, and my guess is going to be, it's not only is it going to expand, it's not going to be the situation where you talk about conference championships. And, uh, there's your automatic end. It's going to be at large, all 16, just like the FCS does. There's no difference. And, and the whole idea about conference championships was, was a farce anyway. That was just to get it going. In fact, I had Sankey on my radio show the day before this all went down. He was talking about the playoff, and we were talking about the setup of the playoff. And he said, look, nothing's set in stone. The conference champion stuff is not set in stone. We could have 12 at large. So he's already talking about it right then. And believe me, if the most confident guy in college sports is saying nothing's set in stone, guess what? Nothing is set in stone. 
there is a clear takeaway from all of this, and that is nobody has done a better job in this sport at looking into the future of it than Greg Sankey. And we have seen other Power 5 commissioners like Kevin Warren, who look like they're completely on their heels. And they're only focused about trying to not look stupid in a press conference that takes place tomorrow, as opposed to trying to see what this is all going to look like 10 years down the road. And that is such a hard thing to do. And it's what I thought Jim Delaney did so incredibly well with his creation of the Big Ten Network and how it essentially ushered in the rights of the the, the TV boom that we saw in this sport. And I think that's what everybody is wondering about right now. I can't recall a time in the history of the sport in which so much of the future has felt like it is just a, a bit of a, a bit of a mystery, a bit of a wild card. And I think people are struggling to accept how it's all gonna break down. But ultimately, if you have Greg Sankey running the show, which it feels like he is not just for the SEC, but for all of college football, you feel like it's going to be in the right hands. And for people who are saying college football is going to be ruined as a result of this, I just don't necessarily think that's the case. Now, what I think SEC fans want to know in the immediate future, and you kind of hinted at this, you talked about other conferences all getting to 16 teams. Does the SEC stick at 16? We've seen people like Greg McElroy who speculated that the Super Conference is imminent, Super League, whatever you want to call it. Who would even make sense to add? Or do you think that they will stand pat at the 16 for now and see how this plays out for a few years? I think they're going to stand pat. I, I, I mean, again, it's just my opinion. I might be completely wrong. They might be in the middle of land, Clemson and Florida State. I have no idea. So, so all, all I know is you have to look at the, the, the realities of the situation, too. The ACC teams are in their grant of rights for 35 more years. 35. So I can't even imagine what the buyout is on that thing, okay? Um, so I, I, I don't know. They're not taking anything from the Big Ten. The, the whole idea they're going to take Michigan or Ohio State. I mean, come on, man. Come yeah. on. This is not going to happen. The Big Ten makes more money than the SEC right now per year. So why would Michigan and Ohio State leave that? So that's not happening. Um, the Pac-12 is a mess. You know, that, you know, it, it's, I, I think, and this is what, really what it goes back to, too, Connor, is the reason why the SEC is so successful, and I, and I talked about this earlier, look, when the Big Ten added Nebraska, when they added Maryland, those, those schools waited like four or five years before they were fully vested. When Texas A&M and Missouri joined the league, 100% vested the day they stepped in. When Texas and Oklahoma joined the league, 100% vested the day they step in. Everybody's the same. No one has more power than the other person. That's why you can get away with these decisions. That's why when the presidents and the commissioners say we're doing this, everybody else just says, okay, because everything else they've done has worked. So why would you not say okay to it? You know, meanwhile, you got the ACC begging Notre Dame, basically doing whatever Notre Dame wants, puts Notre Dame in, in every sport but football, gives Notre Dame five or six games every year, football games every year, well, you know, you got the Pac-12, which is dying because they can't get any TV eyeballs on them. And the Big Ten, the only, the only time the Big Ten expands is when they're responding to the SEC. So it's, it's the Big Ten and the SEC above everyone else right now. Um, and when it was Delaney and Slide, you could tell who was running college football. Now that yeah. Delaney's gone and Kevin Warren's in there, it's, it's clearly Greg Sankey's show. There's no doubt about it. And, and Greg had a fantastic mentor. 
he, he taught him a lot of good, a lot of good moves. Greg knew a lot on his own, but clearly Greg knows what's going on. And, and it's impressive what he's done. It, it really is. I mean, you, you gotta, you gotta be completely impressed by a guy who sees the future is proactive about it and says, you know what? I'm not going to be caught with my pants down when the players say we want money. And he's not going to talk about that on the record. He won't say anything like that about paying players, but you better believe he's talking about it. You better believe the presidents are talking about it. How could you not see your playoff and see the one billion or more a year and not think, oh, these guys are going to want some money? Because the NIL is not going to cut it. The NIL is great, but all the NIL does is give access to players. You have the access to sell your name, image, and likeness. Some of them won't be able to because they're just not stars or because people don't want them. It's going to be a very small 4 or 5% of the football players who will be able to get a lot of money or some money even. So what do you do for the rest of the group? And believe me, they've gone over this. This is a, a multi-billion dollar business. This isn't something, again, I go back to what the 80s said, we're not winging this thing, man. You've got to be proactive. You've got to see the future, and you've got to take steps to deal with what's coming in the future. And that's exactly what what the SEC presidents and Greg Sanger are doing right now by adding Texas and Oklahoma. They're putting themselves in the best position to earn the most money off TV deals, off potential streaming deals, and off media rights in general. Does the Big 12 fold, merge, or add? Fold. I guess it's, I guess it's possible that, you know, they could merge with the Pac-12 and it becomes the Pac-12, which is, which is probably the most likely of the expansion scenarios. But I don't think that's going to be called the Big 12. It will, it will be called because the Pac-12 is basically saving those teams. So they'll keep that name. And look, it, it, if you're the Pac-12 and, you know, you're dying for, ter- for, for TV eyes, you're absolutely dying because you're the West Coast and you're three hours behind everything bad when your big games are playing, you're dying for that central time zone, you know? Yeah. So that gets you all the way to Texas. It gets your recruiting into Texas, which also is fantastic. Um, and, and, it, and it makes you a more viable television entity. So that's why I think it's a no-brainer for the Pac-12 to take four, maybe even all five of those teams to go to go to the Pac-17. Because honestly, when you get down to it, if, you, if you've got five left and West Virginia goes to the ACC, because that's a natural fit with the rivals with Pitt and Virginia Tech and Virginia. So it's a natural rivalry pit. So, and geographic fit for that matter. You've got five teams left. If Kansas and Iowa State, with their AAU affiliation, go to the Big Big Ten, is one of those teams going to get screwed? Are you really going to leave one of those teams out? I mean, I guess you could. You certainly could. But uh, I mean, I mean, my guess would be they might take all five and just make a seventeen-team deal. You could figure that out. Scheduling wow. wouldn't be an issue. You could just you could just go. You know, you play nine conference games and you rotate everybody else. My wife suggested the Big 12 and Pac-12 should merge and then just be called the 12. And the 12. that would be like <laughs> like a really cool name, even though not that it matters anymore if you have a number How in about your the name. Big you, know, as opposed to, you can call it the Big Pack. Ooh, the Big Pack. That kind of right. sounds like a, a secret Get war mission there, or something like that. The, the big pack. Okay, we can we can go with that. Um, I'm sort of assuming that you know, as we talk about conference scheduling, I'm assuming that we're going to see the SEC switch to the nine game conference schedule because 
it makes a lot more sense in the 12 team playoff with the margin for error with being able to go to those you know go to espn and negotiate that new tv deal it also guarantees you know those quality games are, are built into the schedule because if we don't we're going to have less scheduling variety than we currently do and based on what you saw at sec media days from people like dan mullen that's the opposite of what they want what are your thoughts on on the the potential switch to a nine game conference schedule in the sec uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. I mean, I don't know if there's any question about it. There's no way ESPN's redoing that contract. They haven't, they haven't even had a game yet. There's no way they're redoing that new contract unless they get nine games. And, that's, and mm. why not? That's, look, that's the reality of it. That's where we're headed right now. And if, if you want to get 70 million a team, 60 to 70 million per team at the end of the day, and you, know, you want them to fold in the Longhorn Network into your, into your SEC network, which, oh, by the way, ESPN owns half of, if you want them to fold that in, you got to give them something, and that's you know that something would be a nine-game schedule. I, this one more SEC game is not going to like break programs. It's not going to break you to where you can't go to a bowl game or you can't get playoff eligible. If anything, it'll, it'll help you in that situation. So, I think they go to a nine. The question is, how does it work? You know, I've heard the idea of the pods because it gives you more flexibility. Um, you play three, you know, three permanent pod games a year, and the other six are rotating. And that's great. I understand all of that. Um, I, I, I honestly, Connor, I would not be opposed to two eighteen divisions because I, I just think that's how it's always been in the league. And I know it's a new day and everything changes, but man, the division and the championship game have been such a just such a the DNA of that league. And you know, if you add Texas and Oklahoma to the West, you move Alabama and Auburn to the East, you move Missouri to the West, you got a nice eight and eight split. Um, you've got four power teams in each league, and it's you know go get it, man. Let's see who can do it. And and it's believe me, it's it's no fun for Alabama, Georgia, and Florida, who are who are in that East and Auburn for that matter, who are in that East. That's a that's brutal. But then you look over in the West, and you got Texas, Oklahoma, LSU, and A and M. So that's not easy either. And, and I know it's harder for the other four in, in each division as well. But man, you know this is what you want when you start building this super conference. And if you're talking about a 16-team playoff, you've got a chance to get four in anyway. So play it off. You know, you guys play each other and see what happens. I don't, it, it, to me, the, the 218 division still gives you the, the ability to play seven, and then, and then there are no permanent crossovers, okay? So then you just have right, you rotate that'd be the two key teams thing every there. year. Yeah, you rotate two, two teams every year, and what that will do over eight years, you will play everyone in the league. If you're a guy and you sign a scholarship, over the next four years, you will play all the other teams in the league at least once. And that's really what all the coaches have been talking about, Saban in particular, that he doesn't think guys should sign and then not play a team over their four, four years at the school. So I think that's a good move. Um, you, you know, Connor, there's so much with scheduling that it, that it's an unknown right now because if they all go to 16, you know, then what do you do? Then you've essentially broken away from everyone. You know, then you're talking about your, your own idea of, you know, not only how you set it up, but then do you start breaking away as far as enforcement? Do you start breaking away as far as academics? If that's the case, you know, then your non-conference games are not going to be against Memphis. Your non-conference game is going to be against Washington State. They will play each other, these four conferences, as far as non-conference games. And then you will see a clear, the, uh, a clear line of, okay, this is kindergarten, this is super kindergarten. You know what I mean? And the super kindergarten will be the 64 teams, and the kindergarten will be they'll play amongst themselves. And then they'll do what we've been saying would be the best thing for those schools all along. I've been saying this now for almost a decade. Play your own playoff. Have your own little 18 playoff. 
Not only that, you can sell that to ESPN. You can sell it to a streaming company, to Amazon. Make millions. Share it. Instead of getting what, you know, whatever the scraps that the college football playoff gives you. Make your own playoff. Um, so, I mean, we have no idea where this is headed right now, Connor. It, it, this is the first step in probably a series of another four, five, six significant steps that are still on the way. The biggest being the paying the players. After Cincinnati gets into the playoff this year, though, the whole, like, hey, group of five should have their own playoff thing might die down a little bit. So we need to always be mindful of that. Because you think Bearcats since he's getting are, in this year, huh? <laughs> I think since he's getting in. I think they're getting in. I think the schedule sets up well. I think they have a very 2016 Houston-like feel to them with the preseason top 10 ranking. They get Indiana on the road. They get Notre Dame on the road. They're going to be favored in every AAC game. If you get Gus in year one, I just think that it kind of sets up well for Cincinnati to get in. I've been on the record for that for the last couple months here. I did way too early playoff predictions, and I think it finally happens this year because if you start off in the top 10, that's the key. You know, you can't just be sitting there like borderline top 25, but if you're starting off in the top 10, which Cincinnati very likely will, or if not that, then they're going to be like 11, then it makes a lot more sense. I'm not crazy to think that, am I? They're going in the South Bend and winning that game? You might be I think so, because... Okay, Jack Cohn is way overrated coming into this season. I watched that dude play at Wisconsin. I'm seeing people him put in the list of top five transfers in college football. And I'm saying to myself, that guy lost the job at Wisconsin, was the epitome of a Wisconsin game manager type quarterback. And people are coming in thinking that he's going to do what Ian Book did. And Ian Book was one of the most underrated quarterbacks in all of college football for the last three years. And I just don't think that he's on that level. So that's maybe a bit of the the reservations that I have with, with the Irish. And I think Cincinnati's still going to be really good. I think that defense is loaded. I think Luke Fickle's a phenomenal coach. I know it's the Marcus Freeman revenge game, if you want to call it that. But I'm, I'm, I'm drinking the, the Cincinnati Kool-Aid this year. And maybe if Cincinnati can like continue to, to pitch the Big 12 that they belong, like not so subtly, then who knows? Maybe 2021 is going to be the year of Cincinnati. <laughs> All right. All right, I think I think you're under I think you're underestimating the lines of scrimmage in Notre Dame is what I think you're underestimating. Fair enough. They're, they're Fair enough. very they're very physical. They're very fast, and they got dudes on offense on the outside that will be a lot of problems for Cincinnati. A lot of problems. All right, we'll circle back. And on again, that. and we'll, again, we'll Connor, that, that's the, again that's also a game that's going to mean something. So it's it's not simply where you're playing Georgia in a bowl game with Georgia. You know, you can say this all you want. I know, and I know people talk about it and they get mad every time you say it. But Georgia didn't care about that game. What do they care about that game? So what? They're in there just playing the game. It doesn't mean anything to them. This game will mean something to Notre Dame because it's in the regular season. They got a chance to get to the playoff. They keep winning. Simple as that. It'll mean a lot to Cincinnati too when it fuels their playoff push. And <laughs> it will. It will. But I can tell you this: that bowl game meant a lot to Cincinnati last year. They wanted to show, they wanted to prove they belong. Very true. Very, very true. We'll do a, we'll do a separate pod just on the Cincinnati Notre Dame game uh, when that right. day comes. Right. But uh, I, I wanted to get you out of here. <laughs> I want to get you out of here on this. I, I know you've been working on a special podcast for SDS called Saturday Lives Forever. Uh, the feed isn't up just yet, but it will be soon. Why don't you tell our listeners what they can expect with that? Yeah, it's you know we take a deep dive into some of the great stars of the past, um, and it's a it's kind of a long form narrative slash interview 
pod, like the most most recent one we just did was on Reggie Bush. Um, and, and it's a long-form narrative. It's probably the first 12, 15 minutes of the pod. Um, and then I talked to uh, Petros Papadakis, who was a former UFC running back. Uh, we now that's at Fox Sports. He does college football. He's an analyst for Fox Sports. Um, it was around the USC program uh, back in the in the mid 2000s when Reggie was doing his thing, and just some you know very surprising uh, breakdowns, <laughs> criticism of Reggie Bush by Petros, who's just one of the best dudes going. Um, it, it's it's kind of and it's not it's not a way of like debunking things. It's a way of celebrating these great players, and then talking to someone who knew them or was very close to them. And, and getting the ins and outs of what it was like to be around them during that time, uh, what it was like, what they were going through at that time. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's, it's a different type podcast. Um, but I always say, look, when I'm, when I'm listening to podcasts, when I'm, you know, on the beach or I'm exercising, or I'm always listening for someone to tell me things and tell me stories. And, and this, is a, <clears throat> this is a story type podcast. Uh, the first one was Peyton Manning. Second one was Reggie Bush, and now we're uh, the episode three of season one. will be on uh, Vince Young. Dang, that's going to be awesome. Really looking forward to that. Um, we'll have more information on when all of that's going to drop. Matt, you're the best, man. Appreciate the time, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Connor. Appreciate it. Excited to be joined by Deuce McAllister as well as John Cooper. We are brought, this interview is brought to you here today by the official sausage of the SEC, that is Johnsonville. That is why you guys are both here. Deuce is being accompanied by John, who is you know the Johnsonville tailgate pro. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about the on-field product as well, but the off-field elements of the SEC are very important, as you guys know. So before we get into some stuff, John, you're you're like you're you're the tailgate master. Absolutely. Apparently, what's what's go-to tailgate food? That's a question that we ask a lot in the SEC. Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, you've probably been everywhere, Connor, and uh, Tuscaloosa, you know, everything's about uh, broths. We, we love broths to start off with, and then we get a little heavier with some ribs, and you get some exotics, some, like, oysters all the way up there, Ooh. you know, and, uh, but we start off with the broths, and my favorite product in Johnsonville is the cheddar broths. There we go. You know, pretty easy to get started. Any novice could do it, um, you know have some peppers i prefer jalapeno peppers doused in some mustard i know deuce prefers to boil it a little different way but uh you know johnsonville makes it easy just just a natural flavor of it we've had a lot of brat references on our pod lately so we'll have to just throw johnsonville in there every single time we say that deuce you've had probably a, a couple of good johnsonville inspired meals at the grove i'm just gonna guess that one or two, you know, it's it's been a ton of them, and uh, it's all it's always interesting, you know, when you when you can go out there, you see it on the television, and you wonder, man, can I do that? You know, because TV, you know, how much of it is real? How much have they uh, kind of made it look really good? But you know, I think with the Johnsonville product, just as uh, John was talking about, just to be able to say, hey, look, I can go out there and do that. Now we may not be able to do it to the professional level like he does, but just to be able to get it where, you know, friends and family, they're over or hanging out before a game uh, in the Grove or wherever your tailgate may be, uh, just to be able to get it where, hey, look, the food is good, fellowship is good, now let's just go enjoy a good football game. All right, well, let's ask the question right there. Best tailgate in the SEC is? 
I mean, I, I can't go against Alabama and Tuscaloosa. I've never been to the Grove like uh, Deuce has here as a player and, you know, as media, but I, I really want to get there. But I'm going with Tuscaloosa. I've been to other places like Auburn and uh, Gainesville and going to Athens this year. So, uh, but I don't think any of them is going to beat Tuscaloosa. Well, I mean, if, you, if you're going on-site or off-site, I mean, so the biggest tailgate, you know, you look at Florida, Georgia down, you know, you, 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 you go down at, at – what what they do down there that's not on campus but i mean that's that's a that's a huge huge setup but i mean i think you know whether whether you're down in at, at the grove or you're at tiger stadium and some of the tailgating and some of the exotic food that you're going to find down there it's all about you know the fellowship it's all about enjoying it and uh you know you even look over in starkville and some of the things that they're able to do over in the junction i think it's pretty special as well you know, SEC, changing gears a little bit, the SEC is kind of feels like it's changing gears itself with all of this pass-happy, you know, high-powered offenses with these quarterbacks who can stretch the field in a different sort of way. I feel like times have changed a lot in the last, like, three years. What's your just overall view on that as a, as a former running back? We'd love to be able to get those carries and, you know, it's seen the game change a lot. Well, I think it's probably more so than three years, probably going back to about five years where it's really been embraced. And you talk about Alabama, you know, just being a defensive stalwart and them embracing kind of the spread. And one of the things kind of really happened was that's what was happening in high school. And so from a high school standpoint, it has just trickled on to the college football. And so, you know, teams used to say, hey, look, if we can hold them to 17 points, it's a victory. 17 points now, you want to hold them to that in a quarter. You know, normally just because of the amount of plays that teams are playing from an offensive standpoint and how wide open it is. It's about getting guys in space. It's about taking shots. And, you know, I know one of the uh, things that uh, Coach O talks about is having, you know, at least four shots a quarter. And you talk about being able to throw the ball vertical at least four times a quarter. That's a lot. And that stresses the defense. And so um, the game is definitely changing, but I think it starts really on the high school ranks, how it has worked its way up. What's your relationship like with Lane? Pretty good. You know, it's interesting because I probably know Lane's dad better, you know, just being uh, playing against Coach Money, Coach Kiff. And so, um, you know, it's pretty good as far as what he's been able to do at Ole Miss and how he's tried to turn it around. And so it'll be interesting to see them kind of grow this upcoming year. Is that a fun offense that anybody should want to be a part of? Because I look at a guy like Jerry Neely and, you know, you can put yourself in his position. Your role is different than what his is now. But is that the type of offense that if you're a high school recruit, put yourself in, the, in that position, is that the, the place that you would want to go and be a part of? I know the come to the sit thing has become very popular with Lane, but how do you look at that situation and say, wow, that, that is unique and he's building something pretty special? It's about space. And so for them, they have enough versatility where they can play power football. I mean, because you go back and you look at the amount of carries that a running back has had in that system, it's pretty high as far as up there, as far as carries for a running back. So it's not all about playing in space, being so wide open where you don't run the football. They are able to, you know, kind of play power football as well. And so I think when you look at it, it's all about, hey, look, does this fit my skill set? Can they get me in space? But also, can they play traditional football? And I think they're able to do so. You and Eli playing together would have been uh, at peak Eli. Yeah would have been one yeah that was pretty special you know just to be able to be in I was with young Eli and so as he was able to develop and get older it would have been pretty special you know but I think you know the guys that I did play with Stuart Patrick and Romero Miller still two long life friends as far as quarterback and you know uh, still have a pretty good relationship with uh, Big Easy as well and so you're proud for the career he was able to have at Ole Miss and obviously with the Giants as well 
You, do you have any Eli true freshman type stories that you, you saw? Man, I could tell you so much, but Eli, I'm not going to put it out there for us. Let's just <laughs> say we had, a, we had a, a bunch of fun. <laughs> I mean, if you go to a place like Ole Miss and you get to spend a little time on the square, if you're not having fun as a football player, I kind of question what exactly is going on there. But you've seen that program go through so many changes uh, over the last last decade, decade plus, and with Hugh Freeze. Where do you think this program's ceiling is? I love asking that question to former players who have a different perspective on that, but what what is the, the, the upside for a place like Ole Miss, knowing what the division looks like and knowing that this is just not necessarily the, the same college football landscape that it was probably even at your time? Well, I think the biggest thing that you have to focus on, hey, look, can you get to eight wins a year, you know, consistently, and then, you know, maybe once every four years, can I get to double-digit wins? I think that's where you have to be at, just because of how college football is set up, you know, as the, the expansion talk uh, continues to happen. Hey, look, you know, one out of every four years, can you get in that conversation? Can you have a legit shot at that? You're not going to have it every year. You know, you're not going to have that every year just because you don't have the overall talent in state. That's a goal that you would hopefully get to, but you know, you're just not there as a program. And just because of the other programs that are around you, you know, it, it, it's tough. It's tough to happen. But I think one out of every four years, the goal has to be getting into that 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 playoffs, and you know, the, particularly the expanded playoffs if that does happen. Besides Johnsonville, we assume that's number one on this list, but the name, image, and likeness deal that you as a player, go back to your college days, would have loved to have had more than any other. I don't know if there was one that I would have loved to have. If it was, it was probably EA Sports, you know, just because it was a video game and that was what you did and played all the time. I mean, but it would have just been an opportunity to say, hey, look, I am on the national level with the big big boys. And that was one of the things that you always looked at, you know, being able to say, yes, I'm a good player in this state, but I want to say I'm a good player in the SEC and on the national level. What's uh, what's something that kids should be mindful of? You've seen it from a player's side now. You got to be able to, to take advantage of some of those opportunities. Obviously, what you're being able to, to do now as a spokesperson, what's something that players need to be mindful of in the, the early stages of the name, image, and likeness era? Well, just aligning with the right group, the right people, you know, making sure that you guys have the same values. And, uh, you know, every dollar may not be the – the, the best dollar just because they may not value some of the same things that you value and so I think that's probably the most important you know just getting with uh, someone that actually cares and, and has the same interests as you. you. see Roman Harper around here? I hadn't seen Harp yet I know he's probably here just because he does some stuff with SEC Network yeah. so hadn't seen him yet. When was the last time you saw him? A couple months ago. He is in impeccable shape. Oh, he's always been that way. Has, yeah, okay, so ex explain this to me because, like, you see guys in the NFL, and you're probably numb to it a little bit at this point where you see guys who are just in incredible physical shape during their careers, post-career. But I saw Roman in person for the first time yesterday, and I was like, I think you're under 4% body fat. I think you're still getting after it in a different sort of way. Like, is Roman special even for, for that, that spectrum? No, Harp doesn't lift anymore, and so he was always his. It, it doesn't. It falls off of him. It doesn't fall off of me. You know, I can carry weight <laughs> a lot better, and so I can give him a few pounds if he's looking for it. But no, Harp. Uh, he does work out. He does train, but it's not lifting to get stronger or bigger. It's just you know that that's hot. He was always you know a guy that was in the weight room, but he's not lifting to get stronger or bigger. He's just lifting now to just stay fit and cut. I'll get you out of here on this one, and this is for both of you guys. 
2020, you know, not a lot of us got to go out to, to games and everything's reduced capacity this, reduced capacity that. I got to imagine you guys are trying to make your way to as many SEC football games as possible. John, I'll start with you first. There's one game maybe that you're going to hit up this year and make sure that you're going to be there, maybe do a little bit of tailgating. What's that game? Uh, you know, I'm based out of Florida just with my day job and stuff. So if there, was, if, if there was a game outside of an Alabama game I've always wanted to go to is Florida, Georgia, and Jacksonville. Just seeing the boats come up, the RVs come up early, I, I really would love to get to Jacksonville and catch that game. Yeah, I think the Florida-Georgia, and that's the game. That's the tailgate game that I was thinking about. I think I said Georgia, maybe uh, – Florida, but no, it's the Florida-Georgia game, the biggest tailgate in, 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 in the world. That, 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 yeah, that's the one that you want to check out. Guys, I appreciate it. Thank you. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates full of You never know what you're going to get. Figuring it out today, we're talking concerts. Before we start, I wanted to say thank you to anyone who might be coming back to the pod after spending the offseason away. I am like that with a bunch of podcasts that I listen to, so I totally get it if that's you. For those who don't know, because I've seen a, a couple of comments in the Facebook group, figuring it out is all about adulting subjects. Will and I, as relatively young adults, I think we're still in that group. Hello, fellow kids. Uh, we, we like to discuss a variety of non-football topics and get feedback from you, the listeners, via the Saturday Down South podcast on Facebook. So if you ever see that in the group, we're still talking a lot of football. We're just, this is what we do to end every single podcast. Concerts, though, is a subject today. And concerts, for me, is an adulting thing because I never went to concerts as a kid. I started going pretty much once I graduated College, I think. No I, way. I, and I've shared this before. Yeah, just wasn't a concert guy. I shared my my usual uh, Country Thunder uh, trips that we would take with with you know my my whole family and um, some extended family as well. But that's been on the back burner a couple of years where we used to go three day country concert. It's just over the border in Wisconsin. It's actually four days, but we only go to three, and we drive to and fro because it's like an hour from uh, from where my uh, from where my mom lives. So. We might start this new tradition in the next couple of years of going to Nashville. We'll see. Okay. We'll see. You never know. That'd be fun. Um, Will, you were at a concert Tuesday night, right? Yes, I was at a concert on Tuesday night. It was a, uh, it was cool, man. It was a uh, Green Day, Weezer, Fall Out Boy, a bunch of bands I grew up watching. Not hard rock, before you ask. <laughs> and they screamo, uh, screamo, not, not, not screamo. screamo, not close. Okay. Yeah, this is like uh, '90s, like yeah. Um, so. That was a really fun time. It was super funny because we bought the tickets literally like late 2019 and we got like a Ticketmaster notification that was like, don't forget this concert's oh, coming right. up. And I was like, oh, this is on a Tuesday. Oh, I better, you know what I'm saying? Take some PTO because I'm going. So it, it was funny because like we went through kind of our COVID checklist. Like once COVID hit, we kind of had like a little family meeting and we were like, what's everything we need to do? You know, we need to cancel our gym membership. We need to do X, Y, and Z. And this was apparently like the one thing we forgot. But I'm pumped that, you know, yeah. it, it worked out great. It was a nice little surprise in the middle of my week. Um, but yeah, obviously like COVID concerts are a little bit different. There was no like pit or anything. It was a bunch of those, uh, like the chairs, like they just had like independent folding chairs that were like strung together. So that was pretty interesting, but it was really cool. We, we talked about that there. Like you could see on, especially these guys who've been touring since the nineties, you kind of see in their faces like, oh man, like this is so cool. And they're really drinking it in. That was a really cool, like, like poignant moment. I really enjoyed that. Were they on stage together? Because those three, those three groups have... I would say pretty different sounds for mm -hmm. the most part. 
Like, were they were they doing stuff together, or was it like, hey, they have an hour, they each have an hour set. They each had an hour set, and they, dude, the okay. the set design was amazing. Like these guys, you could tell were cooking stuff up for all of COVID. I like Green Day a lot. I was always a big Green Day fan back in the day. When they came back, it was kind of like early, yeah, that was probably like my freshman year of high school when they came out, American Idiot. And so I just think their sound has always been really good, kind of transcends time. That would be a concert that I would never think to go to, but I could end up at and end up being happy. So speaking of that. Wait, wait, hold on. So were you, like a, were you like a rebel emo kid listening to Green Day? You're like, oh, my no. parents, man. <laughs> no, and I, I was one of those kids who like, I, I, I would like specific songs. I wasn't necessarily all in with, with groups. Right. I, I would have certain things, like I, I was never a, a big CD guy because I would always think to myself, the majority of this CD, I don't really want to listen to. I just like one or two songs. And then I would like one or two songs from a specific group. My girlfriend in high school had Sugar Were Going Down as her high school ringtone. So to this day, whenever I hear that song, I'm like, oh, your phone's ringing. Um, I heard that so many times. That song is a that song is a banger. They they had their roots, uh, suburbs of Chicago too as well. So they were a big deal back in the day, in high school. Very much a, a sound of of high school for, for my generation. Um, but don't want to just talk about Fall Out Boy, um, <laughs> figuring it out. <laughs> Although we probably could. I posed four questions to the Facebook group for this specific subject. We got best concert you've been to, longest road trip you've taken for a concert record number of times you've seen an artist or a band and then most surprising awesome concert so we'll let we'll let the the listeners kind of push us in in whatever direction that we want to go here but we got a lot of really good responses for this so thank you to everybody who contributed in the facebook group nick ruark says cadillac three eli young band and jake owen came to town and that was the best concert I've been to so far. Though next year I'm supposed to see Kenny Chesney and Old Dominion at Bush Stadium. Okay, I've seen, I think I've seen all of those except Kenny Chesney. Um, and Bush Stadium, all right, you know, <laughs> take it for what it is. I guess if you gotta be in the presence of, Car- of the Cardinals, you know, you do you, Nick. But um, I, I thought that Old Dominion was awesome. I thought they were really, really good. You could say like they're not really country. The lead singer is kind of my country music doppelganger as well. I was told that about six years ago. He is, it's, it's not the same breed of human as Liam Cohn, but it's you know kind of similar. You see it in the <laughs> facial structure a little bit with the beard, um, but that we don't have to talk about that. It's cool when you have artists that you've listened to on the radio that come to your specific town. That was one of the things I loved about moving to Orlando is that there's concerts here all the time. I, I was all of a sudden, I, was, I, I look at that schedule very frequently. If there's an artist I like that I follow on Instagram, it's like, oh, I could drive 10 minutes and see this person live. Like I drove 15 minutes to see Beyonce. What a concept. Never experienced that in my entire life and it was incredible. Um, but yeah, those, that's, a, that's a good start. I like those. Have you ever seen any of those live? Me? Well, no. Yeah. I, dude, apparently I gotta get good. I gotta get into more country music because I've I've heard it's all good, you know, like as far as live, like yeah. People hate on Kenny. I've hated on Kenny before. I would love to see Kenny live. I think Kenny live would be a good show. Um, and he's I know he upsets SEC fans, he upsets Tennessee fans because he wears a lot of different hats. I get all of that. I still think that Kenny Chesney would be a significant notch above Jimmy Buffett, though those two get lumped together. 
I would wow. love to see Ken. Listen, I am a Jimmy Buffett stan. I will fight. I will defend there Jimmy Buffett's honor. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm not one of those people that that automatically turns down a concert ticket. I'll go to pretty much anything. I, I really will. There are not a lot of people that I would definitively say no. Now, if it if we're talking about spending hundred dollars right. to go see someone, that's a different story. What am I going to go out of my way to go and see? I don't know. That list is is definitely a lot shorter. But if somebody's like, "Hey, do you want to go see blah blah blah?" Like if somebody gave me a ticket to go see the Backstreet Boys or something like that, I'd be like, "Are you kidding me?" Of course, Orlando's I would very see that own. in a heartbeat. Orlando's very own O Town, In Sync, they all started here. Birthplace boy bands. Michaela Crabtree. She says, first concert I ever went to was Carrie Underwood's Cry Pretty Tour in 2019 for my mom's birthday. It was me, my mom, my friend, and her mom that drove an hour and a half to Birmingham. We purchased seats in the nosebleed section. However, we got to the front to scan our tickets. The scanner read invalid and we had to go to customer service. Apparently, they had to make adjustments and remove the seats that we bought and replace them with front row seats. That's sick. That's Carrie incredible. sang for two hours straight and it was fabulous. I'm already looking forward to her next tour. The upgrade at a concert is an awesome thing to experience and it doesn't really matter who's there. It doesn't really matter if it's somebody that you're not that into. Being that close to the action is an incredible experience that whether you luck into it or you have the means to be able to afford it, I recommend anybody trying to do it. I looked into it one time seeing Jake Owen at Country Thunder. Um, that was probably like, what, like five years ago? And Jake Owen also hit on my mom that night and definitely winked at her. And then put later on um, a girl named Sheila like as a lyric in one of his songs. My mom's name is Sheila. So wow, breaking Jake news Owen, here. Jake Owen may or may not, but definitely does love my mom. We can confirm that. <laughs> Pretty good live show too, for regardless of what you think about Jake Owen. Very good live performer. Matthew Sedro. Matthew says, my best concert is a tie between two very different genres. I saw Aaron Watson at the Texas Club in Baton Rouge during college, and it was the most enjoyable music I've ever heard live. He's very much a true Texas country style artist, so it's very fun music to sing and dance to. That concert is tied with Voodoo in 2014, where I was in the fifth row for Flux Pavilion at Skrillex uh, when they played back-to-back at the EDM stage. That is a very different genre. That was uh, probably the most hype concert I've ever been to. Very hard to choose between those two because they're so different. That is really, really different. Will, you can speak to this as somebody who went to a concert this week. Are you a dance at a concert guy? Uh, depends on the vibe for sure, but yeah, I'm I've always been like if I'm I'm getting my money's worth, bro. I'm like I'm rocking out, I'm singing, I'm I'm doing everything. Love it, because it's like yeah, I mean that's what you know that's what you're there for, bro. And yeah, like Flux Pavilion and Skrillex, man, that would be no, that'd be lit. Like like especially for like that type of EDM vibe. Um, honestly, I need to go to more EDM shows, but like peak Skrillex is like the time period he was talking about. That actually that'd be nasty. I've never experienced that. They look like they would be. Filled with a lot of neon and a lot of sweat. Is that accurate? I don't know if you'd have the best time. Um, I'm trying to think how to say this. A lot of people are on lots of hallucinogens, and I think they're going to be in your space. And I don't know if okay. that's going to be your favorite thing. Yeah, that's true. All right, I'm not you're going to be on one vibe, and they're going to be on a different vibe, and you should be like, "Come, come on, guy, come on, we live in a society." Yeah. No, that that's me sometimes at Country Thunder, and it depends on 
as you said, it depends on the vibe. If you're looking around and and the seating also kind of dictates that. If it's lawn style seating, you've got your own space, you know, do your thing. Don't really interrupt other people trying to do their thing. But it's also different if you're in that stadium style seating and you don't really have the space to be moving that way. And some people are just gonna get there and do it anyways because they're like, screw it, I paid for these seats. I'm gonna have fun and do whatever I want. That's that's a little much sometimes, but I am I'm a sing-along dance type of type of guy at most concerts. Now, if I'm going to see my guy Chris Stapleton, that's not a stand-up and dance type of concert. I don't know that Aaron Watson is like full on, you know, you're you're tapping your foot the entire time and you're really dancing and getting crazy into it, but there you there are certain places where dancing feels very proper. Going to a Beyonce concert, you're probably gonna dance a little bit. Some crazy love comes on. You're gonna have yourself a good time. The little halo coma comes on. You know, it's 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 halo, but me and my buddies we do the halo coma. That's that's the dance move for that specific song. That's a long story for another time that we don't need to get into. I feel we don't like need we to do. get into that. I personally feel like we do. To be honest. All right, quick quick sidebar, quick sidebar here. So when that song came, when Halo came out by Beyonce, there's been a lot of Beyonce references um, this pod. When that song came out. I think I asked the question to to my buddy, uh, to Bronson, who I'll be I'll be seeing next week for the first time in almost two years. I said, "How do you dance to this song? How would you dance to this song if this came out at a wedding or something like that?" And he started doing this motion with like a halo over your head, and we called it halo coma. So now, whenever one of us gets married or something like that, it gets requested to the DJ that they're going to play some Halo by Beyonce, and we're going to get out there and for four minutes we're going to do the Halo coma. And that has happened at multiple weddings, and uh, <laughs> I love uh, it's, that it's a so little much. bit. It's a little bit embarrassing when people are looking at us, and there's like probably there's probably like nine or ten of us who know the halo coma and specifically how to do it. But at my buddy's wedding, we started it, and then everybody else figured out how to do it. It's a very simple dance. It's very simple, and you can't see this. This is bad radio right now. But it's one of those things that, for whatever reason, it just kind of stuck. That was probably over 10 years ago. So, yeah, Halo Coma. It's a thing. Anyway, Daniel Batson, he says, saw Garth Brooks in New Orleans. Let's just say Colin Baton Rouge was on a different level. Man. I am super jealous of that. That is incredible. Colin Baton Rouge in Death Valley is remarkable. And I didn't hear it at night. I haven't been to the LSU at night. I haven't done the LSU at night experience just yet. It is hype. When that comes on, man, I'm like ready to run through a wall. There's a different sort of buzz for that in that stadium. I haven't seen Garth live, and I need to. And I know that he was doing his stadium tour, and he was making his way around. He'd be an awesome live show. That's probably like top three or four on my on my country artist bucket list of people that I yet to see live that I need to. Great answer though. He found Drew a way Page. to make both of us jealous. That's hard to do. Garth in New Orleans, know, is, that's, a, that's right? a move. Uh, Drew Page says, the best concert I ever went to had nothing to do with, my, with the actual bands. When I was young, me and my dad went to a Kid Rock and Leonard Skinner band. Oh, let's go. Um, a woman behind us peed in a cup and threw it on the crowd behind us. A girl in front of us got really drunk and fell and accidentally ripped half her half her aunt's ear off. Mm. I, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, was a pretty decent concert though. Memorable. I like it, bro. <laughs> yeah. 
If you go to Kid Rock and Leonard Skinner, I think that's what you sign up for every single time. Isn't it weird how the artists will dictate how rowdy the specific crowd is? Like, there's, there's a very different vibe from seeing Toby Keith compared to seeing Chris Stapleton live. <laughs> they embody the performer who is on stage. That's one of the drunkest concerts I've ever been to, and I think it was because Toby Keith was definitely blacked out during this entire concert. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's very, it's very, you very much take on the vibe of whatever, whatever music is. Tim, Tim McGraw was pretty, that was a pretty rowdy concert. I've seen him twice. That was definitely not one that people were sitting back and chilling. People, people got after it that night for sure. Hold on, this man said Kid Rock and Skinner. First off, that's legendary. Second, that those, is. those two events that you described, like that exact environment is the only one where those things could enhance the environment. Like that, that's like exactly, like you said, it's exactly the vibe. It's like, man, we're getting, we're out there just mixing it up, bro. It's You never know what you're going to find. Just throwing pee on people, apparently. <laughs> I don't know. You do you. Logan, uh, Logan Issei? Our man Logan says, my best concert is Post Malone when I saw him in Houston for this reason and this reason only. In the middle of singing Better Now, he stopped out of nowhere and started yelling at the sound guy to stop the effing music and then immediately proceeded to pull out a pack of camel crushes and light one on stage. Three minutes later, he once again yelled at the sound guy to restart the effing music and then proceeded to perform Better Now again, all while smoking a camel crush. He even threw a chair in the audience at one point, knocking a girl out. Oh, that's a lawsuit. Oh. If, if it weren't for all of that, I'd say my best concert is either Riley Green or Chris Young. Chris Young, very good live. Have not seen Riley Green. Post Malone, I don't want to say you know that you're signing up for that. I'd love to see Post Malone. I think that'd be an awesome show. I don't know how authentic he sounds in person because he's got a lot going on with his music. But that, that's one of those where I, I probably wouldn't seek it out. But if it was like, hey, Post Malone's going to be at the Amway Center for, and you can have like a $20 ticket, I'd be like, yes, I mean, what up. is this let's, reality let's you live in where that happened? It's, <laughs> it's, it's not. Like $400. It's not. <laughs> right? But if it's like, if it's somebody that, that says at the last minute, hey, I have this ticket, you know, just give me like 20 bucks for it. And yeah, I guess in that weird scenario, I would go. Have you seen Post Malone live before? No, no. That sounds amazing. And yeah, like you said, like him, him, him ripping sings mid-song is just so on brand. I love that. I love it when people have a stage presence. There are certain people that, that just, that's not quite their thing. I love Eric Church. I don't quite think Eric Church has that stage presence. I think he puts on a really good show, and I would see him in a heartbeat again. I've seen him twice live. But I don't think he commands the stage in the same way that some others do. Like, people are going to laugh at this because, like, I'll take Eric Church over Keith Urban any day. Keith Urban has this stage presence, and anybody who's seen him live knows this, that's just super captivating. He'll play four different instruments while he's up there. He's engaging with the crowd. If there's a catwalk, he's walking out to the edge of it. He's getting people involved. He's shouting out the crowd. He's, he's very interactive. He just feels very authentic. And then there are certain people who are gonna go through their set. It's gonna be really good music. You just kind of take it for what it is. But I love it when people have a presence for the moment like that. That, that to me, kind of puts a, a concert over the top. And, Jake Owen was another one. Really good stage presence. Regardless of what you think of his music, you can watch his concert and enjoy it because of his stage presence. Um, I'll say this real quick. I, I think you know this about me. When I was in college for like three years, I was a concert photographer in Orlando. 
Uh, because of that, I've probably seen like hundreds of concerts. I saw everything that came through Orlando for like a pretty solid window there. Uh, people always ask me like, and, and it was a dream in college, you know what I'm saying? Getting paid to go, you know, be front row and take pictures. And that's it's how, sweet, yeah. It's, it's how, uh, part of the reason why I got so good at like photography and videography, because in those moments, you got to get the right shot and you got to get them out quick and edit them. Anyway, so people always ask me because of that, what were my favorite shows I saw? Uh, exactly to your point, uh, Andrew WK, the guy who sings Party Hard. You probably don't know hmm. what I'm talking about, but he's, his, his show was insane. He was like throwing chairs and stuff. It was a small venue. Um, Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran, you're going to laugh at me. Everyone laugh at me. Interesting. Fine. He crushed it. He was on stage by himself. He had like a loop board. Before he got big too, right? This was right about then. This was about, yeah, right. like I'm going to say like 2014, 2015. So right when he was like ascending to the top. So okay. it was, he had insane, like he put, he played everything acoustic basically and was whipping out different guitars and different instruments and layering it. That was super cool. Um, and then, yeah, like I'm, I'm always like a big time um, like rock band guy. Um, so I'm seeing um, Rise Against. I love them. I was telling you about them. Uh, so yeah, yeah. there's. So I'm 100% with you. There are bands that like that right right now would be my top three, but they're absurd. Like I've seen Usher, I've seen like Disturbed, I've seen all these huge bands, um, and and they always do a great job. I'm not saying they're bad, but they're. It's just something else when a band is up there and they have like their thing and it's uniquely them. It's it's cool. I like that. Seeing somebody live can give you a new appreciation for someone as well, and that's definitely happened to me in the past. Tyler Chandler says best. Judas Priest and Deep Purple. Ooh. Longest road trip, Mobile, Alabama to Nashville for Warp Tour in 2014. Uh, my buddy was all about the Warp Tour back in the day when Blink-182 was a part of that. That was a really big deal. I yeah. think um, Fountains of Wayne, I think, was part of that. that now, we're, now I'm dating myself a little bit here. Um, and then he said, uh, um, best record, either Skillet or Cannibal Corpse. That's beyond my realm. I don't really have anything to add to that. But Tyler, thank you for sharing. We've all that's, got... That's listen, pretty, we're just taking these one by one. Skillet, I would love to see live. They're a Christian band. They, you've heard them. They, they're in like pregame songs and stuff all the time. Um, okay. People, you, you've heard them. Um, and yeah. then, yeah. Who, who was the second? We said Cradle of Filth? Cannibal Corpse. Cannibal Corpse, yes. Heard great things about Cannibal Corpse. They're another like super heavy band. This won't shock you. Um, bands I'll like that. Word. Yeah, bands like that that are super technical are always very fun live as well. Aaron Michael? says saw Ramstein three times in the US, but one of those came the weekend before my freshman year final. So I flew from Birmingham to Philly on a Friday night, Saturday night for the concert, then flew back Sunday. Man, that's diehard. Then took my finals and drove back to New Jersey from Tuscaloosa that following weekend, but it was worth it. Well, do I need, is, you, have, you have a big reaction to that. Ramstein, tier Ramstein, one band my bad. Ramstein, tier one band for me that I want to go see live. They have this whole story about them, like they couldn't play in America for a while because their pyrotechnics were so ridiculous. Their intro is this dude, like whenever I saw like videos of them on YouTube, it was this dude coming out of a like a pit in the middle of the stage with this suit, and they have this song they play, it's like Ramstein, and the dude catches on fire. And he's just on fire, singing in German, like not moving his face. It's one of the craziest things I've ever seen. He's just like this gruff, like it's like this very staccato, like boom, boom, boom. And he's just like yelling like German words and he's on fire. It's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. They're the ones who sing Du Haas, like that German song everybody's singing. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. I should have started with that. Yeah. They're yeah. very, like they're almost like Nine Inch Nails, but German. So I would love to see Ramstein. I was literally thinking about that last night. Interesting experience. I'm sure that would be. <laughs> Zachary Warden says, 
This one's a little bit longer. I went to go see Lettuce with my brother and his roommates when I was maybe 23 or 24. They were playing at the then new Ascend Amphitheater in Nashville. One of my brother's roommates had a brother that straight up skipped past the whole line in the most drunk bootleg fashion I've ever seen. Kept telling people he knew them or just nonchalantly moved past them until he got to the front of the line, almost got in five fights in the process, I can understand why. But since it was hippies going to see a jam band, Lettuce, nobody swung on him. We get in and the show is going slow and it's about to rain something fierce. Being the ex-Boy Scout I am, I had a Ziploc bag for all of our phones and wasn't really tripping about it. Funny use of the word tripping there. Little did I know I was about to be tripping. Homeboy came up and gave me a water bottle that I now know he had dissolved acid into. When I say I've never enjoyed a jam band so much in my life, I mean it. Forget the rain, forget that I'm a human being. That show was rad AF after that point forward. I've tried listening to them since and can't get into it. No discredit to people who do like their music. All I'm saying was that it was an unexpected journey. Call me Bilbo. <laughs> that or accidentally fighting somebody at a Primus show would be my favorite live shows I've been to. Interesting. Can't say that I've accidentally ever been slipped acid at a concert. Um, just hasn't come up. Hasn't come up yet. <laughs> Don't know if it will. Maybe eventually. You never know. Kelsey Packer. She says, Emery and I have been have seen Corey Smith eight times and counting. Dang. Ooh. We drove eight hours once to see him in Orlando one time for Emery's birthday. Most surprisingly good concert was Chris Jansen. He was so engaged with the crowd, it was awesome. That is true. I've seen Chris Jansen live. He is excellent. Um, buy Me a Boat. That's the country song. Uh, best concert was Kenny Chesney. Honorable mentions Keith Urban. See? Jonas Brothers, both in 2009 and 2019. And Luke Combs. Best experience, high-fiving Thomas Rhett's. Um, and I know this wasn't part of the questions, but I just had to add it because he's my fave. Kelsey, I'm not going to crap on you. I'm not going to crap on you. Thomas Rhett, Georgia guy through and through. I've seen him live three times. I don't know that I've seen anybody more live. I've seen Chris Stapleton live three times. I've seen uh, Keith Urban live three times. A couple of those were just because they were part of the set list with Country Thunder or something like that. So it wasn't like it was just seeing them. I think Thomas Rhett has gone downhill a lot in the last five years. I've, I've got a lot of takes on Thomas Rhett that we don't really need to quite dig into. A lot of good hits, a lot of really good hits, but it's always just kind of disappointed me with any single that he's had on the radio, including his current one. Um, feels good to be country again. It's like, man, you tried to make it mainstream and then you realized that you weren't talented enough and now you're coming back to country music. Anyway, that's a whole separate deal for a separate time. Um, but Thomas Rhett is, was a good live show when I saw him early on. I hate to be that guy who's like, oh yeah, he got big and then I just didn't like him anymore. Nah, you know, there's some truth to that. Chris Sahor. I absolutely love how each one of these questions is like a very specific thing for each of us that we're just like, okay, boom, boom, boom. Like, yeah. this is cool. We each have our areas. We each have our genres that we can stick to. Mm -hmm. I, don't know, I don't know whose uh, genre this is, but Chris Sahor, he'll end us uh, with this one. My first concert was an Ozzy Osbourne concert um, um, when I was in like third grade. Witnessed my first female breast that night. Best concert I've been to would be a country festival at Gillette Stadium with my mom. I wasn't even a country fan going in, just went because my mom basically begged. But I came away with a much greater appreciation for the music. We went again a few years later. You'll, you'll see some things. Maybe that's why I didn't go to concerts as a kid. My parents were worried about that. Like we can't, uh, we can't risk some of the things that you're gonna 
that you're probably gonna see here in this specific place. Don't want that. Um, Will, did you have any any takeaways from from that before I I, I want to close this? I got one more thing I want to get to before I close this out. Um, no, that that was one of my favorite figuring it out. That was that was pretty cool. We have a lot of diverse people with like really cool musical taste in here. Um, okay, I lied. I got two things I want to close out with. Most surprising terrible awesome concert that I've been to. <laughs> I know I'm terrible at this. Most surprising awesome concert I've been to. I got a last minute ticket to go see Alan Jackson. That was basically front row when I was in Nebraska. It was a Friday night. It was my birthday. Someone in the newsroom. I was supposed to be working that night, and someone in the newsroom was like, "Hey, I've got a free ticket. You should go." Again, not probably one I would seek out just because that wasn't my generation that I grew up with. But I'm like, "Hey, I'm supposed to be working." My boss says, "No, go have fun. Go enjoy yourself. Take the night off." So I did, and it was awesome. Little bitty, little gone country. Even did um, the full version of Zach Brown Band's uh, "As She's Walking Away." Awesome, awesome time that night. Best surprising, awesome concert. Also, Beyonce and Jay Z. Jay Z's incredible. I'm not the biggest Jay Z guy. I was a big fan of of '90s rap back in the day, so I, I have a little bit of a soft spot for Jay Z. Did not expect much of him at all. I went to see Beyonce, but Jay Z can perform. That guy is incredible. He even did. The Ed Sheeran part in Perfect. Really? Incredible. You would never think that. Really, really good. Good stage presence, was very engaged, awesome. Um, new respect for him, one of those guys. DJ Khaled opened that night, and I've never seen a more horrendous solo performance. He would like mix a beat, mix a beat, and then he would like do this like spin, and then drop, and then like it would pause, and then he'd be like, another one. And it was just a half hour. Of that, anybody who's ever seen DJ Khaled live without anybody, any support, any help, you know what I'm talking about. It's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. All right, last thing, for real last thing. I've got to read this. If you're new to this format of the podcast, go back and listen to the first episode that we did six months ago for SEC teams as current country artists. My new sister-in-law, Audrey, sent me this. Texas is Sam Hunt. They want to be in the big time, but they don't quite cut it. Just like Sam Hunt isn't quite a country singer, though he tries. Also, all either of them does is talk. Sam Hunt just tries to talk through songs. That's all he does. And Texas just tries to talk through being back. Nailed it. Spot on. Absolutely nailed it. I have to come up with one for Oklahoma. And I don't want to just do the easy thing of Toby Keith. That's a little bit too easy. You know I don't like to do that just when it's sitting right there. So let me circle back on that. Toby We're going Keith to, is for uh, a later time of day. It's like, he's he's a little bit of everything. It's If you don't know what, what he's like the... <laughs> I hate to say socialism, but he's like the socialism of country music. Because he could really relate to anyone in the South. <laughs> I think Red Solo Cup is one of the most relatable songs ever. Ever. Yep. That was a, a banger back in the day. That song came on. I mean, who doesn't love just having a red solo cup? It's, that's America right there. Um, but anyways, so different schedule the next couple weeks. Pods are going to be coming out a little bit earlier. Still working on when we're going to go back to the two pod a week format. I think and hope that with the pod that comes out early next week, I'm going to do my all SEC type of stuff. I'm going to break down um, what I spent way too much time trying to figure out. <laughs> And I'll, I'll share with you some of the insights as to how I filled out my ballot and all those different things. It'll kind of lead into all the camp storylines that we've got going on as well. Just when we're not processing all these different things going on with Texas and Oklahoma, which were a bit more pressing this week. Anyways, leave us a five-star review. 
like, subscribe. Go subscribe to our newsletter, Saturday.Football. Go subscribe to College Football Uncensored wherever you get your podcast and join the Facebook group and hear your name read on air with Figuring It Out. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.